My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am weary. I want to thank the choir for singing your number because I've been imagining Jesus taking my hand and and leading me on when I'm and weak and tired and weary and worn. So that's helped me out. I appreciate it. And it's been a long week. And um, thank you to everyone for your words of support and encouragement. And um, Do you get it when we make movie references? Do you know who Elsa is? Kyle was referring to the storm, the frozen princess, the snow. Okay. Do you know Mr. Spock? You know what that movie reference is? So there's a Star Trek episode in which Spock's planet gets destroyed, and then Spock has to go on and lead the ship, the Enterprise, and they ask him, "What do you want from me?" And Spock says to them, "I want you to continue to do your jobs admirably." And uh, I just want to say thank you to the staff this week for their admirable work in the middle of our own grief. Then we go on and we keep planning and preparing and uh, cleaning and shoveling snow. And so thank you to everyone who did that. And if you could do me a favor, I would, it would be a huge blessing if you, could, if you could figure out some way to bless our staff this week. I think the weariness hit me last night. And I'm guessing with the rest of them, it's going to be hitting them in the days to come, too. So um, we'll pray for you and support and encourage you. If you could do something to support and encourage the staff, I think that would be awesome. There is still some questions going on around what happened, and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid many of these questions may never have an answer. But I wanted to share from the family that they did do an autopsy, which is a normal thing to do in this kind of situation. And it was completely inconclusive. So there was no determining factor, there was no obvious injury, there was nothing that they determined from the initial uh, autopsy that explained why he passed away, but um, we will miss him. So thank you for your prayers. So here's what I do when I'm in weary mode, or if I'm in grief mode, or if I'm in confusion, I don't know what to do mode. I try to go back to what I know best and build up from there. So it's kind of an interesting thing the way God works because we plan out our sermon schedules and our passages weeks ahead of time. And the passage that was planned for today is John 3.16. And when I got to preparing for that, I said, oh, thank God for that because I think this is one we can maybe deal with together and it should help us. So if you'd like to read along, um, I'm going to read a few verses around it in John chapter 3. So if you open up your Bibles phones, whatever device you have to the Bible you're using, or there's Bibles in the chair. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'm going to start reading verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear 
that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes to the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. So I was thinking about this song after I read John 3.16. Um, do you know this song? It goes like something like this. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Do you know what the next line is? That's the next to next line. The next line is, it's, it's the only thing there's too little of, is the next line. I was going to try to sing that too, but I couldn't. I should have had Stuart sing it for me. Thank you. So it's the only thing there's too little of, and then the next line after that is, no, not just for some, but for everyone. So this song has been kind of famous and done by a number of artists. I think the most famous, Dionne Warwick, or something like that. Um, she... Um, is expressing a sentiment that I think we all would recognize. I found the, the writing of the story of the writing of the song kind of interesting because it was written by a guy who lived on Long Island and he rode into Manhattan every day and as he was looking out his window driving from Long Island to, to Manhattan, he saw things that made him think that the world needs more love. And I got to thinking that you could probably come to that conclusion of driving almost anywhere, right? If you're driving from, from Palo to Cedar Rapids or if you're driving from here to Iowa City. And if you paid attention and looked at the world, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, right? So I think we all agree on that. But what kind of love? And this is what we've been trying to kind of dig into over the last month or so. What kind of love is it that is really needed? Is it some kind of like soft, mushy, romantic love like, you know, we all got to experience on um, Valentine's Day? Is it, you know, a bowl of chocolates? Is that the kind of love the world really needs? Or does the world need something stronger, some stronger medicine, a more robust, hearty something to help us get through a, a love that maybe reflects God's character? We've been talking about truth love and grace love and justice love. These are loves that reflect who God is and get lived out in life. And I'm thinking you won't have argue with me on this one. Please don't argue with me today because I can't take it. Um, that what the world really needs is a love, a robust love, a really strong something to grab a hold of tough, messy situations and love. And so that's what I'm thinking about when I'm reflecting on John 3.16, that this is the kind of love that God needs. And maybe the reason why this is the most famous Bible verse of all the verses is because everybody gets that there is a need for this kind of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is an introduction to a strong, robust kind of love. And I want to just kind of peel back some layers on this for a few minutes and let you, um, and let you go home. I, I did. I probably told this story once before. There was once a young pastor who showed up at his church and it was a blizzard and he was determined to hold the service and he got there and there was only like two or three people that came to the service and he was complaining to his elder about what it, this means and he's like, well, this is probably could have been Dick Dunbaugh, I suppose. Well, let them have, you know, they're here, give them, give them the message and all that. So the young guy got up and he preached and he preached and he preached and he went on and on and on and he just really let them go and afterwards the elder came up to him and said, well, if I only have one cow, I don't give him the whole bale. So I'm just going to give you a few thoughts today about John 3.16, okay. 
This verse is so beautiful in its simplicity and yet so powerful in its declaration of this strong, robust love that I think it merits uh, a little bit of attention. Um, it comes at the conclusion of the story. You may not know. It's at the conclusion of the story about Nicodemus. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He's one of the uh, leading religious leaders of his day, and he wants to know what's going on, and this precipitates the talk about being born again. Remember that? And he says, well, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again or born anew. This is something that God does, which is an introduction to this love of God. So this love is a God-born love, a God-given, a newborn love. This is something that comes from above. It's not something that comes from within us. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. This love that we're talking about in John 3.16 is that kind of love. It's from above. It's a gift of God. And if we only had this one verse, it would probably be enough for us just to, to, to get a picture of the whole gospel. It's the good news wrapped up in just one sentence. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But I'm going to suggest that if we dig into it just a little bit, we'll understand that there's a whole lot more going on here. And I want to do that first by looking at the two verses that lead into it. So back up two verses to John 3.14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Do you know what he's referring to there? Go back to Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, God's people have been wandering in the wilderness and they have been uh, doing this for quite some time. And God has been providing for them faithfully as they've wandered through the wilderness, the manna from heaven and the fresh water whenever they needed it. And yet at some point, they become impatient with the wandering because it's going on and on and on. And they're tired of the manna and they're tired of uh, wandering. They've got, I imagine, sore feet and dust in their everything, dirt everywhere, and they're sick of it. And so they're just whining to Moses about their condition. They even say, we would have been better off in Egypt. Maybe we should go back to Egypt, go back to slavery where we came from. And at this particular moment, God seems to be fed up with their complaints and their whining. And so God sends a poisonous serpent to go into the camp and start biting people. And anyone who is bitten by this poisonous serpent dies. So God's had enough, I guess. One of the commentators I was reading said something like, this is like treating a broken arm by stomping on a person's toe. The arm doesn't feel any better, but now you're too busy screaming about your sore toe to complain about your arm. So they've just gone from bad to worse because now they're still eating manna and still dusty and dirty and tired, and now there's a poisonous snake biting people. But it puts things in perspective. It gets them to stop their complaining, and they start praying. What the people do now is they cry out to God, God, deliver us. God, we are dependent on you. God, we are absolutely in need of rescue. If you do not rescue us, we're dead. Literally. So then God hears them cry out, and he says this to Moses. Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten will look at this and live. So Moses made a serpent out of bronze, and he put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, the person would look at the serpent of bronze, and they would live. 
This is the moment Jesus is pointing back to in John 3.16 when he's describing about God's love. God's love is like this. You are dead, snake-bitten, and unless God intervenes, there's no hope. You can't save yourself. You can't escape it. There's no other remedy. Unless God does something, you're dead. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that a beautiful picture? What God says, I got to do for you. The world needs Jesus because we're all snake bitten. And some of you might push back at that and go, yeah, but, you know, snake-bitten, what do you mean? That's kind of an old-fashioned way of looking about it. Let's, what are you talking about? I want to listen to two other verses where John helps make this a little bit clear. First, the way he starts his book, John chapter 1. This is the way the whole book starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through him, the world was made. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to those which were his own, but they did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God, Children born not of natural descent or of a human decision, but born of God. And then look at the second half of the passage we read today in John chapter 3. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Who's that describing? That's describing the whole world, the, the world God so loved. They love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the verdict. The whole world, including you and I, if left to our own, we prefer darkness. We prefer our own way. We prefer evil deeds. If we were left to our own completely, that's the pathway we would go. And these deeds would destroy us unless somebody's lifted up and we could look at them and they could save us. And that was Jesus. So part of taking this medicine has to admit that, you know, admit you're snake-bitten. I suppose there were people in the camp with Moses who got bit by the snake and like, oh, no, I don't need to look at that bronze deal. I'm fine. And then the next day they'd be dead, right? I suppose there's people in our world today who say, you know, well, I don't have a problem with selfishness or pride. I don't have a problem with greed. I'm not prejudiced. I'm not inconsiderate or rude. I don't have a problem with lust or hatred or anger. I don't have a problem with evil deeds. I suppose there are people like that. And what happens then is they, they don't need to look at the one who's lifted up. But for we who do, we who recognize we're snake-bitten, 
God so loved the world and gave his one and only son that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. And the next verse, I think, is just as beautiful. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Hey, if you were snake-bitten, you're dead. And it had nothing to do with the snake on the bronze pole. If you're lost in your sins, it has nothing to do with Jesus coming into the world. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. This is how much God loved the world. So the very first word in John 3.16 in the original Greek is a word that's translated so. God so loved the world. And I know for years and years I looked at that word in one way. I looked at that word as like uh, it's about the degree of God's love or the amount. Like God so loved the world. God loved the world so much. This love is so great. That's how I'm reading it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's how much God loved it. But lately, a couple of different people have helped me look at that word a little bit differently and started to think that it might mean more about the manner or the way. God loved the world uh, this way, in this manner. God so loved the world that he gave. That this is a kind of giving love. And when I read it this way, it starts to make it go even a little more deeper, the, the kind of love that God has. That God, He did definitely love the world so much, but He also loved the world so that, in this way, He gave. And the gift that He gave was not some thoughtless, meaningless, insignificant gift. The gift that He gave, He, he loved so that He gave His Son, His one and only Son. That sounds like a really robust love, doesn't it? A strong love that says, I'm not just going to give you some little piddly thing that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm going to give you the thing that means the absolute thing most to me to, to show you that I love, to show you that's how I love you. God so loved the world that he gave something really important to break the darkness and bring life to people who were dead. And then we're called to love as God has loved us. How many times have we heard that in the last several weeks? Love one another as I have loved you, is what Jesus said. So this seems like we have to love with a, a love that can bust up the darkness, and it has to be a love that really gives something meaningful, something significant, something important. I'm not giving you a piddly little gift. I'm loving you with a strong, robust gift. Now, I know this gets super challenging, and um, I wasn't planning to say this, but, you know, this week I felt like a lot of people gave a really robust love, went into some difficult places with some people who were really hurting bad and sat with them in the middle of their hurt. That's the kind of robust, strong, giving love that's represented here. It busts up cruelty with grace. It busts up unfairness with justice. It busts up sickness with health. It busts up loneliness with companionship. It busts up hatred with reconciliation. Um, it busts up blank with blank. What would you like to see? What darkness would you like to see busted up in the world? And what kind of robust love would you imagine busting up that love? That's something maybe each of us have to answer for ourselves. 
So Jesus talked about this all the time and invited us to enter into living this out all the time. And there was one more passage that grabbed my imagination this week with a really vivid description of this kind of love and how it was lived out. And this comes from Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is having a little discussion with a lawyer. And as lawyers are often prone to do, they're trying to make love kind of complex and complicated and everything. They're, they're testing Jesus in this. And, and here's the story that comes out of that. So this is Luke 10 verse 23. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, You've answered correctly. Go do it. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same way, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite came, and when he came to the place, he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go do likewise. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might have life through him. So, Go do likewise, because what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Dear Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these good people. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who works to help us understand your truths. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.